Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Uh, chapter 35 of the book of Breshit. God said to Yaakov, Arise and go up to Bethel, dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from Esau, your brother. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Discard the alien gods that are in your midst, cleanse yourself and change your clothes. Then let us arise, go up to Bethel. I will make there an altar to God who answered me in my time of distress and was with me on the road that I traveled. So they gave to Jacob all the alien gods that were in their possession as well as all the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob buried them underneath the terebinth near Shechem. They set out and there fell a godly terror on the cities which are around them so that they did not pursue Jacob's sons. Thus Jacob came to Luz in the land of Canaan. It is Bethel, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, for it was there that God had been revealed to him during his flight from his brother. Deborah, the wet nurse of Rebekah, died, and she was buried below Bethel, below the plateau, and he named it Alon Bakuth. And God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Padan Aram, and he blessed him. Then God said, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not always be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a congregation of nations shall descend from you, and kings shall issue from your loins. The land that I give to Abraham and to Isaac, I will give to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give, you, give the land. Then God ascended from upon him in the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob had set up a pillar at the, at the place where God had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a libation upon it and, and poured oil upon it. Then Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. They journeyed from Bethel, and there was still a stench of land to, a stre- excuse me, I'm sorry, stretch of land to go to Ephrath, where Rachel went into labor and had difficulty in her childbirth. And it was when she had difficulty in her labor that her midwife said to her, Have no fear, for this one too is a son for you. And it came to pass, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. Thus Rachel died and was buried on the road to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a monument over her grave, and it is the monument of Rachel's grave until today. Israel's journey, Israel journeyed on, and he pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. And it came to pass, while Israel dwelt in the land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard. The sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Jacob's firstborn, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, maidservants of Rachel, Dan, and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, maidservants of Leah, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob. 
who were born to him in Padamaram, Jacob came to Isaac, his father, at Memory, Kirav Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. Isaac's days were 180 years, and Isaac expired and died, and he was gathered to his people old and fulfilled of days. His son Esau and Jacob buried him. So I want to comment on this chapter, chapter 35, because I think that the chapter itself is, uh, is really a chapter about Teshuva. And I continue to marvel, as I have seemingly this entire year, at how God continues to use imperfect people to bring about His perfect will. Imperfect people to bring about His perfect will. This morning... Amet said something. He was talking to Shlomo, and I was uh, in the room, and I got hit by straight, straight fire. I was just walking along. I was minding my own business, and I wasn't harming anybody, wasn't hurting anybody. And uh, I was brutally assaulted. But the back of the room, a stray bullet. But what he said was that the uh, letter for the day is Raish. And the insight that he was bringing down was that no one can be truly righteous, no one can be a true Zadik, a righteous person, until they understand that they are a Rasha. That's the paradox. That's the paradox that we see played out throughout all this time as I, I continue to come back to the story. During the uh, 50 days, I was reading through First uh, and Second Samuel. And I was intrigued, just continued to be intrigued by this concept of, and I mentioned this before, I know, but uh, some people didn't hear it, but of David had about seven wives, if I, my count is correct, and one of his wives was a woman named Abigail, and uh, Abigail was a very righteous woman. Everybody agrees she was wholly righteous. She had been married. Her husband was a total uh, Rasha. And he died, and David remembered how, what a righteous woman she was. She really saved her husband from being killed by David because he, he cursed the king, and, and she went to the king. And so David remembered that, and so when he found out that her husband died, he sent a courier to go get her and bring her in and made her his, his wife. And so when it comes time for someone to secede David and become the king on the throne... One would think, I mean, I would think, if, it were, if I were left in charge, Rabbi, you choose which wife should have the son to sit on the king's uh, throne after him. And I'd say, well, why not Abigail? She seems like, and I don't know a whole lot about the other women. They may have been righteous too, but I know something about Abigail. She might have been righteous. And, but God's choice was Bathsheba. Bathsheba? Bathsheba committed adultery with David David had Bathsheba's husband killed. Bathsheba, you know, we, we talk about David's sin, and, and he's responsible. That's why he gets, he got the, the, the fist to the face. But d is there any record of Bathsheba screaming? Is there any, any, any record of Bathsheba sending a message to her husband? Any, 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 no, she was all in it to win it. And yet God said from that messed up marriage... That whole messed up situation should come the king that's going to sit on your throne. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't make any sense. But that's just it. God doesn't have to make sense to us. That's really important. 
In order to follow God, we don't, he doesn't have to make sense to us. You know why? Because he's God. He sees the beginning from the end. He was everything. We, our, our lifespan, 70 years, 80 years, 120 years, Bezrat Hashem, that's nothing. It's, it's, it's less. You know, the scripture refers to it as, as like a, the shadow of a bird flying overhead. It's actually not even that. That's actually pretty. That's, to me, that's longer. And so here you have Jacob, who was an imperfect person. Think about Jacob and everything that he's gone through and everything that God has shown him. Jacob's ladder, he, you know, the, the 12 stones becoming one, him anointing it, all the miracles. And yet he's like, all right, you know, we're about to go to Bethel. Everybody get rid of your foreign idols. What? Like that just doesn't, notice that nobody even, it just, it's like, get rid of your foreign gods and all your idolatrous things. Okay, hey, uh, honey, dump out all our foreign... What? Foreign gods? What do you mean you have foreign gods? Didn't even, and the scripture doesn't even skip a beat. It's like, they, and they, they took them, they buried them. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to raise my hand and say, whoa, whoa, say, excuse me. What are y'all doing with foreign gods? What's wrong with you? But this is how it went down. And all this, all this happened, I want to begin by saying, from re- reading a, an insight from Ma'am Loez, that this, be, this all happened because Jacob didn't fulfill a vow because in his good times, he forgot the bad times. So, and Ma'am Loez brings this down to verse 1 of chapter 35. In the previous chapter, we wrote that one of Jacob's misdeeds was that he delayed in fulfilling his vow. Now, God said to him, set out and go up to Bethel. Now, by the way, I just want to emphasize the point here that this is Jacob's time of teshuva. And when we're in this three-week period, we have to understand that this is a time of teshuva with our focus is, is specifically about how to bring about the third temple, how we can... Correct our lives. You know, this is so poignant for today. You know, everybody's out doing things. Some people are, you know, some people are well-meaning. They believe the facade I mentioned earlier. They actually have been brainwashed into thinking that there is this systemic problem that we have to deal with. Never mind the fact that we've had a black president in the United States. We have all kinds of black leaders everywhere. The, the cities that all this trouble happens in, the mayor's black, the, the city council's black, the chief of police is black, half the police force is black, but yet we've got this systemic problem. It's just dumb. It's really kind of silly. That's not to take away the fact you say, well, Rabbi, there's racism still. Yet, ladies and gentlemen, there will always be racism. Hello. You know why? Because there will always be sin. There will always be people that have issues. And my daughter can tell you, you can talk to her later. Jamaica is 98% black, and the other percentages are not white. They're just not black. <laughs> in fact, if you're in Jamaica and you see another white person, it's like, whoa, whoa hey, hey. <laughs> what are you doing here? Why are you here? A funny story is I had this, I had this uh, my uh, jungle warfare hat, OD green. 
and I wore it to Jamaica because, you know, it keeps sun off my head. And I need that because I'm white. So my friend Roy, I was staying at his house. We were on the north side of the island, and I was going to go out and just walk around, and, he, and I put that hat on. And he said, uh, brother, I don't think you should wear the hat because you're going to stand out. I looked at Roy and I said, Roy, there ain't another white man out there within a hundred mile. Now, that's not going to be my hat that's going to give me away. <laughs> but Hadassah will tell you that on the island they discriminate between light-skinned blacks and dark-skinned blacks. She'll tell you. You talk to her about it. In the, in, 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 the, in the U.K., the Brits discriminate against the Irish, okay, and the Scots, too. And uh, that's just, you know, everywhere you go, there's going to be racism. You're not, and you're not going to be able to legislate it out of anybody. You could tear down every building and every statue. You could tear up every street. It ain't going to fix nobody, okay? It's right here. And the only thing that's going to fix it is Hashem in their life. And, uh, and Torah is by nature interracial. You know, Moses' wife was black. <laughs> Yeshua was not Scandinavian. He had kind of brown hair and kind of hazel eyes. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I mean, seriously, y'all. Okay? So, Jacob, he had an issue. His issue was he did not fulfill his vow. Because when he was fleeing and things went well he god rescued him from esau and he forgot about it he forgot about it god told jacob you might think that the vow that you made had been forgotten when you were in haran the word of god statement when you were fleeing from your brother's esau implies that jacob assumed that he was not yet responsible for for fulfilling his vow Jacob had placed a condition on his vow. If I return in peace to my father's house, and he was not yet back home with his father, so God therefore told him that he was mistaken. The reason that you had made a condition that you would return to your father's house was that you assumed that only then would you be safe. But now that you have been met with Esau and have been made peace with him, you are equally safe, and you must keep your vow even though you are not yet in your father's house. So his issue was, you didn't come to Bethel like you said and do what you said. God therefore said, when you were fleeing from your brother's Esau, your intent in saying that you would return to your father's house was that you would no longer be fleeing from your brother. God said, it is not right to make a vow when you are in trouble and then forget it. This is something that non-religious people do. A truly religious person is very careful, God told Jacob, 
to fulfill their vows. This is why the sages say we shouldn't be making vows. So here in this time, we're focusing on the, on the teshuva, the rebuilding of, of the temple. And we need to understand that we need to think about what are some issues that have caused that temple to not be able to be made manifest. And we, we're looking in, inward, not looking outward. That's what I was getting at a while ago, is that too many people are trying to change out there, but not change in here. Not change in here. we got to change in here. If you change here, you start treating people with respect. I guarantee you this. Let me, let me tell you this. You treat somebody with respect, they will treat you with respect. You know how I know that? The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. But somebody's really mad at you, just talk so calmly to them and politely to them and, and not, not condescending, but po polite and respectful. And it's real, real hard to stay mad at such a person. Man, you're so wrong. Like, you know, you're right about that. Yeah, quit saying I'm right. Listen. <laughs> That's like the women, the women have a, have a kryptonite for guys. Now, I, I'm not giving anything away. They know this. They train, they, they, little girls are trained by their mamas like this from little, little bitty ages. When your husband is upset or you know, a, a man in general is upset, all you got to do is cry. That's kryptonite. It's not fair. When you start doing that, it's like, oh. That's just, that's just, that's just not fair. You're having a fight. All you got to do is a woman just start crying, and that's it. You're, it's over. A man just goes out and just hangs himself. <laughs> Your, his, his buddies are like, why would you make her cry, dude? What's wrong with you, man? You're so wicked, so evil. Rasha. That's right. So Jacob, he, this, he's got this vow issue. And then we have, an, Rabbi Monk uh, speaks about this. Let me just turn to Rabbi Monk right here. He says, there are three ways that a man is judged. The Midrash Tankuma brings this down. This is an ancient writing. Three ways a man is judged. His ways are examined. That is, when a righteous man travels alone, exposing himself to danger. When he's staying in a house that has a possibility of collapse. Or when he makes a vow, which he forgets to fulfill. So come and see what happened to Jacob. God had granted him all that he asked for. Now it was up to Jacob to carry out the vow which he had made a time of suffering, but which he had forgotten when time was, times were good. So God sent him warnings by means of trials, the tense meeting with his brother Esau, the nocturnal struggle with the angel, but Jacob didn't understand these. Then Jacob was afflicted with the tragedy of his daughter. Even then, he didn't realize what was wrong. So God imposed more unhappiness upon him with the death of Rachel and God said, how long will a righteous man be tested without understanding his sin? I will now tell him, go to Bethel and make an altar there to the Almighty who revealed himself to you when you were running away from your brother Esau. The proverb says in the Midrash, if your seed becomes clogged, beat upon it. The Torah itself is clear on the point. When you have made a vow to God, do not delay in carrying it out. Otherwise, Hashem your God will not fail to call you to account and you will have to answer for 
your sin. So, there's another insight here. This is an aside. This is pretty interesting. That He says, God said to go there and fulfill your vow. And then he said, dwell there. And I like what Zakin Rayford said in his class, his Avodah class. He said, you've got to make Avodah your dwelling. Like service to Hashem, that's Avodah. You've got to make that your dwelling. Like God has to be your everything. And you have to live in him. But it says here, I do not know for what reason, says Rambam, but Rabbi Bakia and Sforno and others interpret this injunction to dwell there on a spiritual level. Come back to yourself is what God is telling Jacob. Come back to your whole purpose in life. Come back to who you are. After all your past disappointments, just as Jacob returns to the place which was the starting point for his family life and the creation of the future of the Jewish nation, he is invited to examine his conscience and to still come closer to God after the many ordeals which he suffered. The allusion, it says, to the return to God contained in the figurative meaning of the word vashev, which could also be interpreted, go and wait there for a divine manifestation. The point being is we have to make God our dwelling. And every time, there's different points. In the, if you notice the Jewish calendar, it's replete with opportunities for teshuva. We have these three weeks of teshuva that's about the temple. We're going to be done with the three weeks, and then we'll have a, a short break, and then we'll begin the 40 days of teshuva that lead us up until Yom Kippur. And then we have Sukkot, which is more teshuva. And then we have, the, we have uh, Hanukkah, which is about you know, rededicating this temple. And then we come back to Purim, which is about accepting the Torah all over again. And then we have Pesach, which is cleaning out the hamets and, and, and focusing on uh, what's righteous. And then we have the counting of the 50 uh, days, which is about making teshuva day by day. So what is, do you, are you seeing a theme here? You say, well, this is why the idea, not to step on anybody's theology, but the idea that you can walk down an altar, make a confession of faith, and walk away, and that's it, is so ridiculous. I got saved 50 years ago on March 14th. Ladies and gentlemen, I got saved this morning. And I'll probably get saved again this afternoon, and probably this evening. And when I wake up this morning, that'll be another day of salvation. This is why it says, work out your salvation daily. It's not... a Salvation is a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a point in time when it happened. Why? Because we're always refining ourselves. And if you have any questions like, well, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's right. Look at Jacob. Get rid of your gods. Jacob. <laughs> You're like, well, I'm, I'm pretty good, Rabbi. I don't need to make any teshuva. Really? Do we say the the God of Frank, Matthew, and Ted? No, we say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they had gods with them when they were getting ready to go to Bethel. This is after 11 of his 12 children have been born. Yes, he's still carrying around gods with all... And listen, some of the sons, you know, some of them, they'd already killed everybody. They could have said, hey, Dad, we need to talk with you. Did you happen to notice that you got the fat guy over there? Okay. I mean, I don't get it. But it just goes to show that there's never enough preparation we can do. Hadassah is getting involved in a, a RLTC program, and she's like, how do you know when your boots are shined? Honey, they're never shined. <laughs> so, oh, that's, ah, 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 well, she has, when, when are your, ah, well, when do those boots shine? <laughs> never. 
Yeah, which is why on day one of graduation, I went, my mom said, what do you want to do, son? I said, I want to go to the PX and I want to buy some patent leather shoes. I never had to shine my shoes again. That was the first purchase I made. Boom. Right over there. Because I was, mm. Can I get a witness? So it says here, Midrash Rabbah. Let me read this Midrash Rabbah before I move on to something new. Here's the problem with vows. Now, we should all know by now that we, we really need to refrain from making vows. And most people get that. But we, what we have to, the reason that we say, I'm going to be at your house tomorrow night, Bezrat Hashem, is because when we make promises, those are also vows. And we have to be very careful. And we mess it up all the time. We mess it up all the time, which is why we have a beautiful service right before you on the eve of Yom Kippur, the, the name of which just totally escaped me. Kol Nidre, thank you. I just, bam, went out. Uh, Kol Nidre, it is a beautiful service, a moving service. It's on the, the, the evening. It's the only service at, which occur, obviously occurs at night. It's the only service at night that, we, that men wear their tallit gadol. And, we, and the whole service is about canceling vows, asking God to forgive us for promises made that not kept. Such an important service. Such an important service. But it says here, the Midrash interprets the verse as referring specifically to eating consecrated property. This is talking about a discussion of vows. Possibly this is because God is more patient. Listen to this. God is more patient with one who commits sins that God has explicitly forbidden. For he realizes that man can succumb to his evil inclination. So God gives us a commandment. We're forbidden from doing something. We violate that commandment. He's understanding and compassionate and gracious with us. Why? Because he knows we have a Yetzirah. He knows that we're dust and ash. So he's, fine. he's not fine with it, but you understand there's a level of compassion there. Okay, so, but God shows no patience with one who eats or benefits from property that he consecrated since he himself created the stumbling block. So, so, God, so when we make a vow and we, we, we preclude something from our life that God has permitted, when we violate that, God is less compassionate because we don't have an excuse. We just created the stumbling block for ourselves. Whereas when God created the stumbling block, Hey, we've got a Yetzirah that is warring against us every single moment of every single day. But when we take something that's permitted and make it prohibited, this is partly what Yeshua's problem was when the guys were saying, you can't eat bread without unwashed hands. He didn't rebuke the practice, but he said, you can't make that forbidden. You can't say you absolutely cannot do it, otherwise it's forbidden, because now you've created a stumbling block. Likewise, one who delays in fulfillment of his vow would have been better off if he had never made the vow to begin with. This is in con so it says, nevertheless, the Midrash finds fault only with when, when one delays fulfilling his vow. However, the Gemara, that's the Talmud in Nedarim 22a, gives a contrasting view. The Gemara says that when somebody makes a vow, one invites a heavenly inspection of his deeds. Why? Well, according to the Gemara, 
This is because a person who makes a nadir, that is a vow, gives the impression that he holds himself to a higher standard, that he's more pious, that he needs something else put in his way because he's, not, he's already not stumbling over all the permitted stuff. So now he needs to create more obstacles because, you know, he needs to put more weight on the bar because no, those are pink weights. All this Torah stuff is pink weights. So heaven does an inventory and says, let's see if you're really that righteous. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody on the, on the heavenly court going down my ledger. Mm-mm. 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 I want that thing buried way in the back in the reference section that nobody goes to. Right? Amen. So here's, we're going to start wrapping it up with this. Look, we have to prepare ourselves. This is going back to getting rid of foreign gods. As crazy as it seems that they had the foreign gods, this is what Ma'am Loez says. Get rid of the foreign gods and idols that you took as booty in Shechem and purify yourself of the defilement of idolatry. You must also purify yourself because you came in contact with dead bodies when you killed the people of Shechem. Mere proximity to a Gentile corpse does not cause defilement, it says, but it goes on to say that they, in fact, did, did touch a dead body, and they had all, this, all these different things. They, they took these, apparently they, just, they took all these gods they had gotten from Shechem. So Jacob said, change your clothes since you are wearing clothing plundered in Shechem, you might inadvertently be wearing idolatrous vestments. It's possible. So it says, this teaches that when a person, this is Ma'am Loez, because like Mikael said, Ma'am Loez was written to be all-encompassing. So if you have a volume of Ma'am Loez, or a set rather, he gives down halakha and all kinds of different teachings. But this is what he adds to this. He says, the teachings that went, this teaches rather, when a person goes to a synagogue or even when he recites the afternoon or evening service at home, he must first examine his clothing and his body to make sure that they are perfectly clean. If there is uh, filth on the clothing or the body, it is forbidden for him to worship or walk into the synagogue. You know, um, we would do a lot better. I know that we have in our country, we have different theological beliefs. We are at odds theologically with Christianity as we know, as traditional Christianity. Having said that, I would encourage, they happen to be listening, I don't know, but the, the world would be a better place despite the theological beliefs or, or, or disagreements if people would start respecting their houses of worship again. Beginning with the leadership. Now, this, this message may never get out, but then again, God may cause it to get out. Pastor, I'm talking to you. Don't ever, ever come to the pulpit again wearing jeans. Stop, stop dressing like you're mowing the lawn. Stop dressing like you're going to go out for an afternoon picnic. This is God's house. You believe it's God's house, and I believe it is too. I believe that your heart is right. We need to get back to the days when men wore coats and ties and women wore 
nice clothes, dresses, or what have you. Why? Because we respect God. Because here's the thing. When you, don't, when you disrespect Hashem, then you end up not respecting yourself and therefore not respecting others. So despite our theological disagreements, we can discuss that and have a rational discussion, hopefully, about those kind of things. But I would just encourage you to never again show up in the pulpit wearing flip-flops or tennis shoes. Don't allow your congregation members, do it politely, do it nicely, don't allow them to show up with shorts and t-shirts on. This is Hashem's house. You know, we have people show up here and we don't, you know, I'm just saying, you have to respect yourself. That's the problem. The problem is respect. People don't respect themselves. You say, what, well, the clothes don't, don't make a difference? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Put a suit on a man, he will walk differently than if you put a T-shirt and blue jeans on him. Amen. I don't care who the man is. Put a, put a tuxedo on a man and see how he acts. Ooh, I'm tuxedo. Ooh, look at me. He starts strutting. Look at me. I'm tuxedo. <laughs> you put jeans and old ratty shirt on him, he'll walk around like this. Oh, hey, 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 hey. All of a sudden, you think you are somebody. I'm serious. You say, well, I just, I just don't want to be haughty. Quit, being, quit, quit, quit dabbling in false humility, friend. We need to get back. This is what Ma'am Lois was saying. Get rid of, you've got to prepare yourself. Rabbi Monk says, Rashi explains the term Elohei Neker in the sense of getting rid of the gods of strangers. We've got to get rid of foreign ideas. Get rid of the gods of strangers. Rambon and Ibn Ezra explain gods that are foreign to the Holy Land. And I submit to you because you may be thinking to yourself, maybe you've been walking Torah for some time. And uh, first of all, let me preface it by saying that I am not one of these crazed people that sees an idol in, in everything. I'm not, okay? Um... Having said that, well, you may be thinking to yourself, I don't have any idols. I'm, I'm, I'm following Torah. Well, I just want to remind you that Jacob got rid of his idols before he went to Bethel. And Jacob is, you know, Jacob is Jacob. So sometimes there might be things in our life that we don't, we don't think are idols, but in fact they are. And maybe, and this is another thing, what is an idol to you may not be an idol to, to somebody else. Because you, be, you might have realized that the program that you watch religiously, and I make no judgments because I'm not against television, okay? I'm just making a comment here just as an example. The program you, you watch religiously, pun intended, is your idol, but then you find out that your, your friend watches the same show, and you're like, you got to stop that idolatry. And you're like, I'm not addicted to it. it. It was an idol in my life, and the Lord showed me it was an idol, and I'm just, and you bash your TV in. <laughs> right? So just understand that what's an idol to you may not be an idol to them. I knew a, go, a, a guy one time that was addicted to Dr. Pepper. A long time ago, a friend of mine. Addi I mean, addicted. Now, you know, I'm not a big soda drinker or whatever, but I, I might, I might, I haven't had one in forever, but I might, I might have enjoyed Dr. Pepper. Okay? 
And I realized when I did that, I just took in about 3,000 grams of sugar, like all the same time. Mazel's over here having a heart attack when I said I might have a Dr. Pepper. She's like, (laughs) I'm just kidding, Mazel. I might, but I might not. I probably won't. But the guy that figures out that that was an idol of addiction in his life, when he sees me enjoying a Dr. Pepper, he might, probably won't, but he might. He shouldn't slap the Dr. Pepper out of my hand and say, get rid of that idolatry. You understand what I'm saying? So we got to be careful. Don't be crazy. Don't be weird. Nobody likes to be around somebody who's weird. That needs to be all of our prayer. All of our prayer. Part of our prayer life at some point needs to be, God, help me not be weird. You know? Because we all got our thing. Some people like this or some people like that, and we think that somebody else doesn't like it. You know, don't get fanatical. Nobody likes to be around a weirdo. All right, a couple more insights and we'll be done. Here the Torah teaches us that sin is called impurity because it says cleanse yourself. Rabbeinu Yubakia says sin therefore is impurity. Just as forsaking sin is also called an act of purification, the Torah considers each sin as a moral blemish, a stain in our soul. And finally, I want to go to this insight because we read about the name of Israel. There's more I could say about changing our clothes and things, but you get the point. We've got to prepare ourselves. But Israel shall be your name. I'll just conclude with this. The Talmud stipulates but that the patriarch can be called either Jacob or Israel, but whoever calls Abraham by his original name, Abram, transgresses a positive precept. That's from the Talmud in Barakot 13.8. Why? Well, the Zohar explains the difference by pointing out that Israel is a qualifier, a characterizing name, whereas the change from Abram to Abraham corresponds to a change in the actual destiny of the person. The change of name took Abraham out of his destiny. He had seen it in the stars that he would not have children. What he saw was that Abram wouldn't have children, but Abraham would. We need to prepare ourselves and ask God, Hashem, change our destiny and make our destiny your destiny. Because let, let it be that our destiny is God's destination for our life. Kenya Hirat Son. Baruch Hashem Adonai.